athletics is a is a remarkable um, laboratory for people. We take people from all walks of life, all corners, and we put them together and build a team. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back. The average length of tenure for a Division I athletics director is just under seven years. These are hard jobs, and COVID has only made them harder. Kent Haslam is athletics director here at the University of Montana. He's been in that role since 2012. Kent, you are beating averages in many ways. Thanks for making time to come on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I didn't realize that was the tenure. I guess maybe I should I should be looking out. <laughs> yeah, do you feel like a, a seasoned vet now? I, In many ways, I do. And then every day, I feel like I something new comes up. Certainly, COVID has brought that. But as I look at all the changes that have happened throughout the conference, I'm, I'm certainly now the senior athletic director in the conference. And sure now working for the third president uh, of the university that I've been a part of. So it, it does remind you that um, that these jobs certainly have a shelf life. Indeed. Maybe go back to that moment in you know 2012 for a minute. You got here in 06, worked in development for six years. Uh, 2012 uh, was kind of a pivotal time in University of Montana and University of Montana athletics in particular. Um, why was that a, a job you wanted to say yes to? Well, to be candid, I, I assumed when I came here in 2006 that I would continue my progression through college athletics, would come here for three or four years, maybe get some really great experience at a wonderful university where you can raise money. If you're going to get into fundraising, you want to be at a spot where you can have success. And I knew I could have success and we could have success here at the University of Montana. And and really, being the athletic director was was really not on my radar. I thought I'd pack my family up and move somewhere else. But then as, as things started to progress and this opportunity presented itself, I, I thought that uh, I had a skill set and some people that uh, I could rely on that would, would help navigate through some, some tough times at the university. And um, this is a strong institution with a lot of pride, a lot of history. To be a Division One athletic director is really a, an honor. And to do it in a place like this um, truly was, and I don't say this cliche lightly, was it was a dream come true. And so, yeah, coming in at that moment, you got sort of a, a football team in particular that's going through some cultural problems. Uh, the, the sort of DOJ investigation is, is kind of in the offing, just kind of cleaning up a lot of, you know, bad stuff in a way. Um, how did you kind of approach that early time uh, as sort of rehabilitating a lot of the, the Grizz brand, if you will? Well, I start by saying really the, the Grizz brand, I think, was a lot stronger than people thought that it was. Okay. And it, it really oftentimes when you view a crisis from the outside, it does get at times overly um, exaggerated, maybe. And from the internal I knew that there were core pieces and core people that had done remarkable work here and laid a great foundation. And um, so I think for me, it was really um, 
building on what the great things that have been done before, and then a- adapting to the changes that were going to come through uh, NCAA investigation, other uh, the DOJ, and all of those things, and reassuring people that um, we were going to be fine, that our core mission is still education, higher education through athletics. And then um, getting some stability, Mick Delaney really brought that to the football program and um, and just making sure that people felt like things were going to be okay and uh, we're, we're going to we're going to navigate through these challenges. But uh, oftentimes, you know, it, it seems like another life, to be honest, and, and you want to <laughs> make sure that you you I, I think a good leader focuses forward but glances backward because I think you need to glance backward to make sure you're still heading in the right direction you learn from the past and you don't repeat things but we we as a university were we were in a good spot and we just needed to to uh to get out and and answer questions and be positive and get in front of people Sure. That makes good sense. And one of the things, you know, we'll sort of fast forward to, to present day. One of the things you're getting a ton of questions about, I'm sure, and thinking through as it's somewhat of a live situation is this this current football season, you know, the, the, the decision to, um, you know, kind of withdraw from Big Sky Conference play and have this adapted schedule. Like, walk us through the kind of, maybe walk us through the entire, like, TikTok of of COVID with regard to football in particular, because that's a, a you know particular set of decisions that um, probably takes up a lot of your mind share. It really does. And I, I think back to March driving from Boise to Missoula, the men's and women's basketball tournaments have just been canceled. Right. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, there's no way this will extend into the fall. Uh, we'll play football. And I was probably living in La La Land a little bit there. Um, ignorance is bliss a little bit. And, and so never thinking that football would be impacted by this. As the summer progressed, it was clear that this was just not going to, to happen. The testing requirements, um, all of the unknowns, the virus, all these things, and just chaos kind of breaking out. And so when we made that decision not to play football in the fall, it was the right decision for a variety of reasons. I don't think we could have done it in a really effective way. And I think you've seen now universities who had to put together their fall. Um, They spent a lot of money on testing and let's call it what it was. They needed to get those football games on TV. Yeah, We're not driven as much by TV here. We are on TV a lot, but we don't make the money that people think we make off of TV. We make very little money off of television. And we make our money with people sitting in Washington Grizzly Stadium, getting in a car, driving from Billings or Sydney or Helena or Great Falls or Spokane, parking, buying a ticket, walking in, eating a hot dog, and then leaving. And that's where we make our money. And so as that started to evolve and you started to realize we're going to lose that for the entire fall. That was a, that's a big blow. Um, and, uh, you, we knew here at the university of Montana, we have built a great program and we have built this great revenue builder in football, but we also knew we were highly reliant on that too. And then when it gets taken away, it, it, it shakes your, your foundation a bit. And so, we pivot and I start thinking, well, if we can get to spring, 
Maybe we can play you know, two or three games, full crowds, all of that. Again, I think I'm operating in the athletic director mode where I don't have to go out in January and tackle people and get sure. ready physically. And Coach Houck was looking at me thinking, you know, Kent, that's a bigger task than you think. Right. And as we moved through uh, Thanksgiving into December, President Bodner, who's just been outstanding during all of this, um, great perspective, starts to talk about, you know, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Things aren't going to be any better. And it became very clear that to both us and Montana State, joined together, really talking this whole thing through, that trying to play in the spring and get young men ready to play a physical game like football in January, which we would typically be doing in August, just didn't make any sense. And if we did it, we actually put at jeopardy the fall of 2021, and we kind of trade a half-hearted spring of 2021, uh, and we lose a great fall 2021. So kind of delay, buy time, and come back with the right product at the right time in the fall is part of the analysis there? That really was. And um, we we were ready to, to carry out the testing requirements on campus. Folks have been so wonderful at keeping us going and doing the testing that's required by the NCAA and having all these I've learned so much about PCR and antigen yeah. tests, Justin. I just I couldn't believe it. But um, we were ready to do those things. But again, at the end of the day, you step back and say, what What's the purpose? What's What are we going to gain from this? And um, is it going to be a great experience? And our coaches, and really our student athletes, were of the same mindset, thinking, Hey, let's let's not jeopardize fall of 2021. Yeah, you know, when that announcement came out too, I mean, it's particularly interesting and, and, and meaningful that and you referenced this in your in your answer that that it was sort of a joint UM MSU communication. And maybe just speak about that for a moment, you know, because we have this rivalry and we we play it up a lot. But at your level, like you've got to sort of there are times where you're a teammate with the athletics department at, at MSU, whether it's a conference negotiation or something like this. Like, how, how do you kind of approach, approach, like, you know, managing the rivalry, but also sort of working with a peer towards some common objectives? Yeah, don't 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 tell anybody that uh, I talk to the <laughs> athletic director at, at Montana State more as much as I do. Um, because right. that's, it is a rivalry, and I don't want to dismiss that, Justin. I mean, we... We certainly want to beat them in everything we do, and they want to beat us in everything they do. But um, but there has got to be, we're governed by the same Board of Regents. We're governed by the same Commissioner of Higher Education. And we, we often face the same type of challenges. And so it really, it was really the two of us, the athletic director, uh, Leon Costello at Montana State and myself, we meet regularly with with the commissioner of higher education, both presidents, and we'll bring in the head coaches from men's basketball, women's basketball, football, some of them together too, just so we can talk through challenges that we're facing. And it started at that level. And I think it was really Leon looking at me and I'm looking at him, obviously through a Zoom or on a phone call saying, are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? Yep. And I'm saying, yeah, I think I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking. What are we trying to do? And so it was a, it was an example of really a great collaboration that at times I think does get pushed aside because of the rivalry. It does, and and sometimes it becomes a little petty. But I think in this case we were both uh, we were both out for really the same thing, and that was student athlete experience, student athlete health, and and having this this really this very treasured entity we have Grizzly Athletics, and that they would say they have in Montana State that 
that really helps shape the communities that we're, we, we're in and the, and the fan bases that we have. Yeah, so you kind of alluded to this briefly before, but the financial piece is a big one. I've heard you talk about, you know, it's wonderful to have this Washington Grizzly Stadium and this this revenue-generating capacity that that stadium and the facility and this experience that we can put together. It's great to have that sort of ability to generate a lot of revenue. Yet at the same time, you don't have a lot of diversity in your revenue stream. So if, if that stream takes a hit it has it has a disproportionate impact talk about this sort of navigation of managing that shock to your to your budget and, and how that's had ripple effects throughout your entire operation well it's we've talked about it for years and uh, it took a pandemic to bring it right to the forefront uh, your bigger worry over the years would be you know back to back three and nine football seasons or something like that but this came the one good thing about this that came is that we were we were all in the same storm. All of our athletic, the athletic departments around the country were in this exact same storm. Now, our boat was a little more tattered because we rely so heavily on football revenue, but we we were fighting this with all of, with a with a lot of other schools. Now, at our level, um, we're unique. We're a unicorn. We uh, we generate. You know, 70% of our revenue to operate this athletic department. We still rely on some from the from the university, but we generate 70% or so of our own revenue. That is unheard of at our level, unheard of. What are peer schools in the big sky or other sort of programs? Like what are their ratios? Uh, the goal would be 50-50, but the bulk I would say of the, wow. of the big sky conference would, would probably be more like 70 uh, from university sources and 30% self-generated. And, and we're the opposite. Of wow. That. And so those programs are getting a much higher percentage of their operating revenue from their institution, i.e. from the the state in many cases, right? Correct. And student fees. Student fees will make up a big okay. portion of that as well. So we're really on par with with Mountain West schools. I mean, football football revenue for us is $8 million. That's all in parking and and all the ticket sales and everything it's it's a it's about an eight million dollar um, revenue source for us so we knew we were going to have to to navigate through that we immediately went into what we called hibernation now we're saving money because we're not recruiting uh, there is no recruiting going on right now that's off campus or bringing student af- potential student athletes on campus there's a lot of things where we've just shut down and and uh in last spring, we're not traveling teams. In the fall, we're not traveling teams. And so we've saved revenue there, but we've gone through furloughs in this department. We've gone through voluntary pay reductions. We've gone through voluntary leave without pay. We've we've done a lot of things that our employees have, have gotten on board. We've fundraised. And we'll have to find some kind of a, a gap to bridge uh, through a loan or something that will get us through. But the great thing is next fiscal year looks good. We hope that our fans come back. But um, it's a it's a daily challenge and one, Justin, really that you're not prepared for as a department leader. And you're right. We just don't have a lot of opportunities to diversify revenue. We can't open a new business. We can't, you know, suddenly generate millions and millions of dollars off of another sport. Uh, it's it is what it is. And so we've got to operate in this somewhat regulated business while still being very capitalistic. 
Yeah, and then the timing too with basketball and the NCAA tournament shutting down when it did. I mean, a few more weeks and we could have had a you know a game or two in the tournament and some of the revenue associated with that to build a buffer into this. It was a double hit. It was a double hit. Uh, I mean, what funds the bulk of the NCAA operation is the men's basketball tournament. It's no secret. It's a you know billion dollar enterprise, and so having that wiped out in March. Looking back now, you're thinking, oh man, wish we could have figured out a way just to get that tournament in. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Raging wildfires have scorched a record number of the acres and killed at least 31 people. continues to climb from those people. devastating wildfires. Last year, wildfires scorched a landmass nearly five times the size of Yellowstone National Park. It was the largest area burned since reliable records began. Fires are getting bigger and hotter and more devastating than ever before. But what all that fire means and what to do about it depends on who you ask. The experience of a forest taking fire is really something. Not only a gift to us, but it's more more of a gift to the land. There will always be fear of fire, I, I know that, and I don't pretend there won't be, but in certain situations, there shouldn't be. I'm Justin Angle, and for the last couple years, I've been talking to scientists, historians, and firefighters themselves to hear their stories. You owe it to the guys that died. I wanted to figure out, how did we get here? We're going to knock fire out of the landscape. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. It was a crazy ambition. And where do we go? It just, knowledge is is freaking power. I'll talk about it in a calm way, but this is me hitting the panic button. Am I making any difference here with the science? (laughs) That's what I wonder sometimes. This is Fireline a six-part podcast series from Montana Public Radio and the University of Montana College of Business about what wildfire means for the West, our planet, and our way of life. Hi, this is Kelly Webster, Chief of Stuff at the University of Montana, and you're listening to A New Angle. Um, Because the virus was far less of an issue then, but we knew so little. Um, It was the right decision. But then you sweep that into the fall high revenue sport of football, and it it turns into a turns into kind of a double a double kneecap. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. And so let's, you know, looking forward, um, you know, I got to think there is tremendous pent up demand for all the products that you offer and create and produce, uh, you know, and, and not only from the supply side, but also the fan side, you know, students are, are excited to, to get back to competition and fans are going to be really excited to watch. How are you kind of thinking about that with regard to, you know, vaccine and policies around that and rules about gatherings. Like I'd love to envision a world where we can stuff Washington Grizzly Stadium and the Adams Center or all of our other other facilities as full as we can get them. But uh, has there been any talk about like under what conditions fans will be allowed to, to enter those facilities? Well, we're clearly focused on fall of 2021 to get fans back in in full force. And I follow the same 
news that everyone else follows and and uh, listening to, to Dr. Fauci and what he has to say and saying if we can get vaccines distributed, we'll get back to some sense of normalcy in the fall. And I, I can tell you, I know the, the, the city county health department has been great working with us. Um, they've We've, we first, you know, baby step was that threshold of let's get back to competing. We need to get back to compete because a whole other topic we could discuss, Justin, is this impact on student athletes and kind of right. their bearings and their compass when suddenly what they have driven themselves to do and the structure that they had in their life and this short window of time they get to compete as a college athlete is suddenly gone. And so we needed to get them back to competing and getting back to successfully running our tests of, for COVID, operating an event, and the county health department has been great in you know, getting basketball back going. And we're going to see volleyball and soccer and softball, some of those start to come back, a form of football later in April. And so we we are in tune with them. And and I uh, I just uh, you know pray every day that this vaccine will get distributed quickly and that we'll get back to, to doing some of those things. And then I hope as a society we can mentally kind of get back to that idea of being packed together. And, um, you know, how's that impact going to be on people's willingness to, to slam themselves into a, into a tight basketball arena or a football stadium? You know, a few years ago, we didn't care sliding right up next to our neighbor, right? And cheering on the grizz sure. and screaming at the refs and doing all that we do. Um, but mentally, how are we going to be as a society is something also that you start to think about because uh, we're going to need people to come back. So let's pivot and talk a little bit about some, you know, some of the opportunities you've had to grow and invest in in your department and programs. I know the adding of softball is is a is a key achievement under your tenure. Talk us through the process of like being to a point where you you can say yes to adding a sport to a, a portfolio of sports. Well, that um, that process started before I became athletic director, and then I had the the honor to be able to get it to the finish line and and um, adding a sport is really we're focused on opportunities for what's termed the the underrepresented gender which in this case is a females for us at this department and so adding women's softball it was a natural it was a it was a I, I hate the term no-brainer because I don't think anything's just a no-brainer but it was very obvious that was the sport to add fit into the Big Sky Conference it was a de- it was a high demand sport in this state. We're the only Division One uh, women's softball program really in this region. Um, Gonzaga doesn't sponsor it. Washington State doesn't sponsor it. Idaho doesn't sponsor it. So even schools around us aren't sponsoring it. So it gives young women in our state and in this region an opportunity to progress. And so it's, it was a great addition. Our biggest challenge was finding a place to. Um, to compete and I'll forever, forever be grateful to, to, to President, uh, then President Ingstrom for, I present a plan saying, hey, let's not think about renting right now and just dumping money. I think we can do this right. We can get something built out on South Campus that would be really awesome. And he said, go. And, uh, and what turned out was that softball field we have on South Campus with a lot of work from a lot of people. And that really, it's easy to, it's easy to add, well, it's not easy to add a sport, but, but it's not just adding a sport and then, you know, throwing down three bases and saying, okay, you know, like we played in the backyard, you know, you hit it over that tree and it's out of bounds, you know, it's foul. And I mean, you have a facility that you can play in that's division one. And so that became our big challenge. And, and then, um, the, the, 
the, the keeping it funded and we had the plan in place that with enrollment staying where, where, where it would enroll and the students passing a student fee to help support that, but then enrollment started to drop. So we had to start to figure out how to fund it. But there's a lot of moving parts. I don't foresee us adding any sports here in the near future. I don't, I don't foresee us dropping any sports because I, I, that doesn't, doesn't serve us to, to remain a division one institution and still follow title nine. So softball is, is certainly something that I'm extremely proud of and something that, um, that gave, uh, gave a lot of people an opportunity to come to Montana and to compete and a lot of people that have worked hard to get it here. And so you referenced there, you know, the, the, the sort of capital investment in a facility, you know, in your role prior to, you know, taking over as athletic director was, was in development here at the University of Montana. You know, we've been able to, and you've been able to invest in facilities, uh, world-class facilities here, kind of under a backdrop of an institution that's had some budget challenges and has had trouble, you know, really kind of investing in maintaining its physical plant to the level I think it would like to ordinarily. Talk about your approach to both fundraising, but also like how to kind of, how do you conceptualize the importance of facilities in not only, you know, serving the, the student athletes that are here, but attracting the best coaches and the best student athletes to, to come here? Well, we have never lacked awesome competition facilities here. And those are the facilities that people see the vast majority of the time. Dahlberg Arena, the Washington Grizzly Stadium, uh, our track, our soccer field, now softball field. Those are facilities people see from the outside and they say, man, you guys have everything. And I always use the analogy that our our, our rose was beautiful, but the bulb from which it was growing was pretty rotten. And those are the facilities where our student athletes spend 90% of their time. And that's academic centers, weight rooms, locker rooms, meeting rooms, all of those type of things. And so there was a real conscious effort to say, we've got to invest in these infrastructure facilities that don't necessarily generate direct revenue. You can add on to a football stadium because you figure you're going to sell more tickets. You can pay for it that way. But building a weight room or an academic center is going to pay you in non-monetary ways, but secure up that foundation. And so we made a conscious effort to make sure that we were going to build in to those infrastructure type facilities. And then it just, it simply takes the generosity of many. And obviously the first and foremost is Kyle and Kevin Washington on behalf of their family's foundation. And you convince them that this is a good investment. And when that large $7 million gift comes, suddenly it becomes a bigger reality for all of those other people who are very capable of supporting too. Uh, Eric and Blair Sprunk did that with the, with the academic center too. And so it, it, at Montana, we have very, very generous people. Um, but they also are people who say, I don't want to do this all by myself. There are others who can help. And we, we just really worked hard to leverage um, those folks saying, look, we've got this now on board. It's a reality. Your half a million dollar gift, your $250,000 gift isn't just going into a, you know, this $18 million project that we may never see. Um, it's, it's, it's going to have a tangible impact because we have this large gift behind there. So we've done a good job, I think, of, I mean, that's the work of a lot of people of securing up those, those infrastructure facilities that support our day-to-day -day activities as student athletes and coaches. And um, the next one we've got to work on, and it became very apparent this year, we, we just need to work on an indoor practice facility. That's the next one. That's a big one, but uh, that's, that's, that's on the radar. I think that would benefit everybody on this campus. 
Yeah, and so you've got your set of priorities, and I'm sure all the coaches have their set of priorities, you know, and this is sort of situated within an institution that needs more students and needs sort of, um, you know, more investment in, in our physical plant, as I mentioned before. Like, how do you sort of conceptualize the the role of Grizzly Athletics in sort of creating that rising tide for the entire institution? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not unaware of... of kind of the outside view that why are we building this gorgeous uh, weight room when um, exactly X building, you know, has got problems. And, and that was, that was certainly, I answered many, many of those questions all the time and would, would tell people, look, this is, this is money from donors directing it to this specific project. And by us lifting the bar, helping this university grow, we are a, we are a part of the University of Montana. As as we succeed, I believe the university succeeds and vice versa. As the university grows and improves, we grow and improve too. And so I don't want to get either of these two entities too out of whack where we're not kind of coming along together. I don't think that's healthy either. And so, but I, I do believe athletics is not the most important thing that we do at the University of Montana, but it is a very important thing that people do connect back. They do affiliate us with the university, right or wrong. That's the first perception for many. Uh, we, we bring students to this campus in the form of student athletes, and I do think we play a role in attracting other students who are looking for a vibrant Division One athletic program that they can be a part of. and and. So we, we really are at many times that, that first connection and we need to, we need to play that role. And in order to play that role, we need to be healthy investors into the overall enterprise of the university, but we also need to be healthy independently and growing and getting better as well. Sure. Thinking about like that, that sort of interface between athletics and the university, like are there aspects of the job that, that probably people don't, you know, what are the aspects of the job that, that people probably don't know about that kind of occupy a lot of your time and energy? Well, certainly um, we're, we're a department of almost, you know, 100 employees. We've got 300, 350 student athletes. In many ways, my job is part human resources director and um, parent and politician and motivator. Uh, interesting part about this job is that we have a number of different sports competing at one time. And so depending on where you are in the hallway of coaches, one coach might be coming off the greatest win in school history while 10, 20 feet down the hallway, they just lost a heartbreaker. And so you're, you're not rising all together at times based on your competition. We are very measured in this department. We build gigantic uh, scoreboards for a reason. We do keep score. Uh, we, we know what the score is and, there, and on any given night, there's a team that wins and there's a team that loses. And so we're very measured. And so you, many times as an athletic director, I think our, your, your job is to keep people focused on all the right things and staying core to your mission of higher education and motivating to get better and to think differently and to not settle those type of things. And then spend a lot of time um, trying to build good relationships uh, across campus and with your community and stepping off of campus and making sure that you don't get stuck kind of in your own little world. 
Um, that's been probably the most difficult thing with COVID for me as I'm so used to being out and about in the state of Montana and in this region, sitting down, visiting with people, talking to them, getting feedback and listening. And that's just dried up over the last year. And um, so I think a, part of my job is really is making sure I'm understanding what's motivating the people who support us and then sifting through what's 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 crazy and what's realistic. Right. We right. all have that just making sure that the, you don't get too high with the highs or too low with the lows and, and keep things um, steady and, and progressing. Indeed. Well, Kent, one final thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain on, and I've heard you speak about this in other contexts. I mean, race kind of became a more salient topic in the minds of many people. A lot of people that sort of hadn't been thinking about it were forced, um, for better and worse, to sort of start thinking about it in, in new ways. And I know, you know, our athletics department, our university has been going through a process there. It's particularly interesting here in that we have an overwhelmingly white state, yet so many of our prominent um, athletes and coaches are, are people of color. How have you kind of approached leadership in this environment and the responsibilities we have to sort of do right by these people we invite into the family and expect to represent the University of Montana brand and, um, you know, make sure that they feel supported and appreciated and have all the opportunities uh, that they, that they've earned. Well, I think it starts with, with simply listening to people and asking them. Um, We athletics is a, is a remarkable um, laboratory for people. Um, we, we take people from all walks of life, all corners, and we put them together and build a team. Uh, I, I joke that we, we will recruit some young man or young woman from some small town in Missoula or in, in Montana. They'll come to Missoula. I think this is the biggest city they've ever been to because there's, there's two Walmarts and there's a, a, a traffic jam on Reserve Street. They can hardly believe how long it takes you to get along that street. We'll bring a young man or a young woman from another city that this is as foreign of a place as they've ever been. And we stick them together in dorm rooms, under coaches, and they compete together. And what a remarkable experience that can be. But these certainly these recent, the recent activities, certainly George Floyd in particular, really opened my eyes to, I've got to do a better job of listening and asking and having those direct conversations. And I've, I, I've, I'm fortunate in this department to have people from a variety of different places. And I found the best way is to simply ask somebody and say, look, I'm coming into this and I just need you to give me a little bit of grace. I may stumble in my question, but I need to understand this or help me understand this or what a, what's the response when I say this or what can I do better? And some of it's very poignant and some of it's very specific and some of it's like, thank you for asking. Others are like, never thought that much about it. So, hey, I'm good. So, it's been an interesting experience in working through with people who who react to various situations in very different ways and listening and learning and being willing to say, hey, I can get better. I can grow. But um, I found just at this time, and, and again, this will sound simplistic, but I believe in it, that a little bit of kindness, a little bit of grace a little bit of, hey, 
I'm going to forgive you for saying that, but I'm going to correct you <laughs> and help you is one of the best things we can do. And I've just found some, some remarkable, remarkable people in this department that, um, have, have spoken to me that shame on me for not having done that earlier and understood that better. But I'm glad that this opportunity has presented itself. It's, it's great. I love athletics for that reason. And I've, and that's why I think that college athletics plays such a role in higher education. It really does. And we've got to keep perspective on it. Perspective, passion with perspective. I always talk about that, but we've also got to allow it to teach us things that we may not learn anywhere else. Indeed, it's amazing um, how powerful a common objective and a team dynamic can be. Kent, thank you so much for all the work you do to make this a better place and a really fun place to work and be associated with. It's been great to get to know you and, and, and watch your sort of tenure uh, unfold here. I do hope you stay a lot longer than uh, the average. And um, yeah, thanks for coming by the show. Hey, I'm, I'm excited to be here and, and thank you for your hard work. And I cannot wait where, until we can all, all get back together. I, I feel a huge void. Um, we don't get into this business to sit on Zoom calls and uh, not interact with people. So I look forward to it and I appreciate uh, what you do for the University of Montana as well. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift of UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business with additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors and Drum Coffee. A.J. Williams is our producer. VTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about it. Thanks a lot. See you next time.